Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to the In Conversation With series, a series where I speak to notable figures in the realm of financial services. Listen as they share their personal journeys, thoughts on the industry, and advice for aspiring advisors. I'm Lois Farley, Chief Reporter for Money Marketing, and today I am joined by Lee Coates, who is Director of ESG Accord. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lee. Thank you, Lois. Good to be um, here. Yes, good. Uh, so you've had quite a background in ethical investing. Um, perhaps you could tell us a bit about you and your background and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Um, uh, the uh short version is I spent 31 years as an IFA running my um, business ethical investors. Um, during that uh, time, I also uh, worked with others to set up a an ethical research company called Ethical Screening. And um, because I'm a, a glutton for punishment, I suppose, I um, also set up and ran Australia's first vegan superannuation fund. Um, and then I ran out of steam and retired in uh, 2020 during lockdown. That lasted a month. And then Ellie Dowding and I formed ESG Accord. Great. Um, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about ESG Accord and, and what the business is hoping to achieve. Sure. Um, it was really set up um, with the sole aim of um, helping advisors deliver advice on ESG and sustainability. Um, we noticed that um, at best advisors were sort of incorporating some ESG, some ethical um, into their proposition, but probably for most firms, it was a question of um, them not really understanding what was needed, whether it was needed at all under regulations. Um, and so we thought we'd make it as simple as possible using uh, Ellie's experience in compliance. She, she has comprehensive experience in um, undertaking file reviews, section 166 work. Um, so bringing the compliance aspect together with my 30 odd years as a financial advisor to, to build something that advisors could easily slot into their existing advice process that was advisor friendly and client friendly and ultimately um, delivered good outcomes for clients. Great. Um, so what are the rules for advisors to advise on ESG and sustainable options at the moment? The um, If you're looking, uh, as some people uh, say to me, for um, where it says in the rules, thou shalt discuss ESG and sustainability, <laughs> um, then you won't find it. Um, that's because we are in a non-prescriptive regulatory environment. Um, so the rules that advisors need to take account of are um, COBS 9A, PROD 3.3, and of course, um, the, the little thing called consumer duty. And effect, effectively, consumer duty holds COBS and PROD um, regulations um, under, the, under the consumer duty banner. So the, the COBS and PROD side of things are all about understanding client um, needs, um, objectives, uh, whether they're financial or broader objectives, gathering the right information in the right way at the right time about clients' um, circumstances, needs and objectives, um, and then building that into the advice process. So 
it doesn't specifically say ESG and sustainability, but the flip side of that is neither does it say that when you gather information about clients' needs, objectives, um, and preferences, you should exclude anything to do with ESG and sustainability unless the client asks for it. So it's more a question of advisors understanding that that they need to understand the client's financial needs, objectives, and preferences because the rules require them to do that. And it's not really um, appropriate now, especially under consumer duty, that, that advisors say, well, we don't think the rules um, extend as far as ESG and sustainability. Um, so that's it in in a nutshell. The rules are there. You just won't mm. find the words ESG and sustainability. Okay. Just on that, um, as a bit of an aside, what do you think about the acronym ESG? Do you think it's a bit sort of broad? I don't. Uh, for example, I don't think many clients would necessarily know what it is. Um, yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that actually because um, I think the whole everybody in the industry has been bombarded with um, the, the term ESG for, for the last few years. Um, the problem is they've been bombarded by different people with different objectives and different definitions of what ESG is. So mm. even within the industry, but amongst product providers, you get confusion as to what ESG is. Um, and then you have advisors trying to distill all the output from product providers and getting confused about the ESG. I mean, it's it ESG is a a small element of um delivering advice or or in investment. Um but your point about clients not understanding it, um that that's really important because there is a bit of a catch 22 um we find amongst some advice firms now which is that um they don't talk about ESG um or, purely on the basis that um, they don't believe their clients are interested in it. Because if they were interested in it, they would ask. But but I agree with you. Clients are not going to understand what ESG is. So an advisor running a compliance process that's built around, well, if clients don't mention things, I don't have to talk about it, is, is not really a sound compliance base. But um, I mean, ESG is with us. There's not much we can do about it. Um, we can probably talk about the labels later, but I think the labels will will push ESG somewhat to the sidelines and sustainability will be the the, the buzzword. And that that's yeah. a bit easier to define. I do, yeah, it's, and certainly it's it's sort of more widely used within, for example, the national media and and sort of more, yeah, probably a term that people understand more i'd say sustainability yeah um yeah no it's interesting just so going back to um the regulator then what what, what does the regulator expect firms to do um in respect of esg or sustainable advice um well the um regulator simply expects advisors to to um well if, if they regulator via consumer duty um, expects um, advisors to deliver good outcomes for clients. Now, in order to de deliver good outcomes, you need to understand what the client has, what their aspirations are, what their investment preferences and objectives are, and make sure that clients um, are making an informed choice. So from the regulator's perspective, it's incumbent upon advisors to make sure that when they're asking clients questions, um, 
that clients understand what those questions mean. So simply saying, um, working through a fact find, okay, we're on page 17 of the fact find, we know the name of the kids, we know what the dog's called, um, and we know how much money you've got. Oh, and do you want ESG? Um, that is not consumer duty friendly. So the regulator would say, well, you can't really ask that question unless you absolutely know the client knows what it means. And under consumer duty, your file needs to show what process you went through to ensure that the client did understand what ESG meant and you recorded that and delivered that in the outcomes. So um, again, put it simply, uh, just ask the right things in the right way at the right time. So yes, gather all the facts, gather um, information relating to attitude to risk, and then gather information in relation to investment preferences. So for those firms that um, say, uh, we really know our clients, we know our clients are not interested in ESG. That's fine, but under consumer duty, the file needs to show how you recorded the fact that you had the discussion with the client that they made an informed choice not to have ESG and sustainability. And for large proportions of the population, they don't want ESG and sustainability. Um, that's absolutely fine, but, but um, Building something into the advice process that raises the question, make sure the clients are in for making an informed choice, putting it in the file, put it in the suitability letter. That's good compliance. That's what the regulator expects. Mm. I suppose it also it kind of depends how you frame the question, because like you said, if you just say, do you want ESG considered? And then the client doesn't even know what ESG is. They're probably more likely to say no than ask, well, what, what is ESG? Whereas if you say do you want sustainability considerations in your funds or in your investments? Then that's arguably a slightly better way of saying it. But I, I think it's probably all about how you frame the question and not to make it mm. leading as well for the client. So Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. I, I was just going to pick up on the way the way you were phrasing that was almost leading <laughs> towards yeah. some leading leading to the client. I mean, the way the way we cover it or, or advise advisors to cover it is simply to um, talk to clients about investment preferences. So we, so the way it should go is we've gathered the information about who, what, and where you are. Um, we've discussed attitude to risk. Now we need, we just need to define how you'd like your money invested. Um, and, and we suggest using the term and getting clients used to the term um, spectrum of capital, which is you can invest in so many different ways. And that doesn't mean... Um, discussing asset allocation in any detail or discussing emerging markets versus 100% in the US. It doesn't mean it's it's a steer. So we would say um, to advisors, you just need to get a steer from the client how they would like their money invested. And the spectrum of capital covers the way they've always done it, the way they've always done it with a bit of ESG built in or sustainability or ethical. And if it's seen, if it's not seen as a discussion about ESG and sustainability, but seen as a discussion about the spectrum of capital, then you avoid the risk of leading the client because clients can be led, mm. you know, in one of two ways. Um, yeah. You can say, do you want this ESG sustainable hippie thing? Um, <laughs> or do you want to save the planet? Yeah, um, exactly. You know, both of which are wrong. They're leading questions. Um, so discussing the spectrum of capital, discussing how the different um, strategies work, and then saying to the client, you can have a mixture, 
um, or there might be something that you prefer. And if if you prefer the the way we've always done it, that's great. It's fine. Carry on that way. But it's an informed choice. The client was aware that other options existed. Um, they don't have. They don't need a fifty-seven page manual on each of the options. They just need to know that they exist and what they are. There's the informed choice. And yep, I understand those things. They're not for me. Yeah, definitely. If I was a financial advisor, which I'm not, obviously, I'd have to be very careful not to push my own opinion, own opinions about sustainability onto the yeah. client, and not to sort of act like I was judging them if they didn't take mm. sustainable options. Um, so what evidence do we have that um, advice firms are prepared to offer advice in this area? Um, we've done quite a bit of research with directly with advisors um, and via fund managers and, and, and DFMs. And we um, we sort of built a, a little uh, quadrant, really. And um, top, you can imagine a quadrant, a top left would be firms that really get it, embrace it. I don't mean in, in an evangelical way. I'm not saying they're trying to you know, ram ESG and sustainability down their clients' throats, but simply say it's there, it's part part of the options, part of their armory of of solutions. Um, so they talk about it, build it into the advice process and find out some clients do want it, some clients don't. But it just becomes an automatic pro part of the process when they're having discussions with clients. Then the next top right would be um, those advisors that sort of know they need to do something, know they need to sort of upskill in terms of knowledge, um, but but don't know where to start. And then bottom left quadrant would be those that um, have made a start on something, but don't know what that start is or how it works. And so it's sort of brought out when the client mentions it. And then the bottom right are the um, don't know, don't care, not interested, I'm retiring next year mm. okay um, yeah um so what happens if advisors i mean we've already touched on it a little bit but what happens if advisors don't discuss esg or sustainable options with their clients um well under consumer duty they they would find in the event of a complaint in the future or in the event of a, a, a debt bit of desk-based monitoring from, from the fca they would find it difficult to prove that they'd met consumer duty because they wouldn't be able to evidence that um, how the client wanted to invest the money. And as I say, even if it means the way we've always done it um, or the way you've always advised me for the last 25 years, I understand now um, that there are lots of ESG and sustainable options, but it's not for me. You know, if there's no evidence on file, that the advisors had the discussion, and I come back to the spectrum of capital. Don't don't treat ESG and sustainability as some sort of weird other thing that you've got to grudgingly discuss. It's just like there's these things this way, these things in the middle, these things in the other end. You can go anywhere you want, mix and match. Um, so the repercussions will be that that um, none of the files. If when um, there's there's a file review, none of the files could be deemed as acceptable. Now, it doesn't mean that the end advice would be bad. They would be unclear because you can't be absolutely certain that the advice that was given is appropriate if you don't know what appropriate looks like. And in order to know what appropriate looks like, you needed to have asked the right questions. So then we come back to the spectrum of capital. You can invest in anywhere mix and match along this spectrum or pick one thing um, 
what would you like to do? And here's and here's some information. Perhaps that's not the right way to do it. It shouldn't be, and here's some information. The information should have been sent before the meeting because that's the easy way to do it. Could you read this before you come in for the, for the first meeting? Or could you read this before you come in for your annual review? We need to just work through this. Let the client do the reading. For most clients, um, they will, in, in reading through, form an opinion probably quite early on how they mm. would like it done. Um, and then the uh, advisor can have a meaningful discussion. That's already ticking all the boxes for, for consumer duty, informed choice, knowledge, preferences recorded. Right. Yeah, that all makes sense. Um, so we've obviously got the um, FCA is consulting on, or I think the consulta consultation is closed on um, sustainability labels mm -hmm. um, under SDR. What impact do you think labels and disclosure statements will have on the advice process? Well, I'm I'm going for the um, glass half full, but glass is very nearly full approach Good. on this one. <laughs> I think I think that the labels and the disclosure requirements combined will make life very much easier for advisors. I mean, one of the things we hear regularly is the phrase greenwashing. So almost that comes back to what I was saying earlier about the um you know multiple different definitions of ESG and sustainability and advisors being confused and that confusion coming from the people that have the products in in many cases um so I think for for the labels being able uh, what they'll do is they'll define the marketplace under the word sustainability so uh, as consultation paper stands we expect the policy statement q3 this year but as the consultation stands there'll be three labels there'll be three sustainability labels um and those are just differences of strategy around sustainability outside of outside of sustainability you'll have conventional if you think about it one end um and a lot of conventional funds have just embedded esg anyway um so there'll be if you like left of the labels not in a hierarchical sense but if you do it on a linear basis left of the labels will be conventional and conventional with esg then we've got labels in the middle and then the far end will be um ethical and responsible investment so advisors will be able to see quite clearly within the esg sustainable green planet friendly um Top friendly or whatever the language, it'll just be condensed into there are three sustainable labels. Mm. They do different things, but that if you want sustainability, that's where you go. If you want ethics, it's at the other end. If you want the way it's always been done, it's the other side. Um, but the disclosure requirements, um, um, I think, will really help advisors because fund managers, DFMs, etc., they'll have to move from the um, look at our product, isn't it brilliant? It's it's the best thing um, that anyone's ever done in sustainability, which it may very well be. Um, but when everybody claims that and uses different definitions and terminology to describe how they've how they've got there, um, the disclosure regimes will tighten that up significantly. So in in very simple terms, if you can't show it, you don't do it. So mm. a fund manager that says uh, we engage with companies. Um, all the time um, won't be enough, won't be acceptable because you'll have to, any advisor would say, well, can I have a copy of your um, written engagement policy and strategy? Can you provide information on the companies you're engaging with, what you're engaging with them on, and any red lines in the sand about where you will disinvest? And and that will be a requirement for, for fund managers. So some that um, 
uh, quite flexible with their descriptions, um, you may find those many sustainable or ESG funds suddenly um, taking all that that terminology out from the product and just saying, no, 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 um, it doesn't exist there anymore, probably because it never existed there in the first place. It was just a good marketing thing. Um, mm. But advisors can, can rel- probably rely m- more on the output from, from managers because they will be subject to strict regulations about how they s- explain what they do. And as say simply saying we do it isn't enough. You don't do it unless you've got a written policy on it and you can document how you do it and you can show some results about how you're doing it is being done. Yeah, definitely. Because presumably you can, like engaging with a company is literally just talking to them. So you can just say, well, we've told this company that sustainability exists. <laughs> so it's yeah. not necessarily I mean, going to... Silly example, but you could say you could go to one fund manager and say, here's a copy of our engagement manual, how we do it, why we do it, the different industries we look at, what we engage with, with them on. Here's some a list of companies that are engaging with his copies of notes that we've taken about the engagement process where we've achieved. Option one, option two will be, yes, our engagement policy is comprehensive. We meet with managers. Well, can you describe it? Well, last week we had three lunches. Next week we've got four lunches <laughs> with, with companies. And all of that serious engagement. Mm, yeah. Which, which one would fun. you go for? <laughs> no, definitely. You might want to um, go for the lunch, but you'd invest in the company with the, the decent um, engagement strategy and policy because you can show it to a client. That's the point. This is quite a nebulous area. You know, a lot of, we understand a lot of advisors are nervous about talking about it because they don't know how much how much information clients will want or what sort of questions clients will get. So so to be able to lie, rely more on the output from companies and share that directly with customers. So you want to go, for example, you want a client says, oh, I like improvers. I'm not perfect. Um, so I'd like to invest in a, fund, a sustainable fund where the fund managers are encouraging companies to change. You know what a client wants to see from that is evidence that it's being done. So, so an IFA saying, "Well, I can tell you who the fund manager had lunch with." You know, that's that's a that's a pointless conversation because if you're <laughs> the client, you're thinking, "That's not what I thought engagement was." Um, haven't they got any evidence? And so you would want to be able to provide evidence and say, "Well, look, here's a copy of of how they do it, and here's a, some information on some of the companies um, they're engaging with." And I think for most clients, that'd be fantastic. I'm glad I chose improvers. Let them get on with it. Mm, definitely. So sort of relating to that, what new Mm -hmm. due diligence will advisors need to undertake under these new rules? Well, feeding off the back of a change to their advice process where they've incorporated, I was going to say ESG and sustainability, I'll I'll, I'll take that back, where they've incorporated the spectrum of capital, which includes ESG and sustainability. Mm -hmm. Um, So where where that's been discussed, um then uh those clients that say yes let's say let's jump a forward forward a year and the client saying yes i would like sustainable improvers label um advisors just need to demonstrate um what additional due diligence they've undertaken on um how the companies do what they say they're going to do so part of that will be using the disclosure statements um because obviously the labels are, are not a, a a comprehensive manual of you will do it in this way on a monday in this way on a tuesday it's simply saying to the fund management industry if you believe you meet the parameters for sustainable improvers 
then notify the regulator that you are going to go for an improver's label. Then what advisors need to do is if they're looking at three or four improving funds, sustainable improver funds, um, how do they do what they do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that and that's the key. So that just needs to be built into the um, uh, due diligence process. Slightly slightly more detailed than comparing three UK equity funds, because unless the funds are claiming to be doing something radically different than their UK equity funds, so you're buying a bit of manager reputation, looking at price, and obviously looking at past performance. But with a UK equity sustainable improver fund you just want to go that little bit further and gather evidence on how they do what they do and part of that coming back to the disclosure statements will be the annual disclosure statement that the funds um have to provide or or explain how they do what they do um and that's probably the bit that the extra bit that advisor advisors would want to retain on file Mm. okay yeah so all in all the these labels um, well, the introduction of these labels are going to have a pretty positive impact on advisors then and make their lives a lot easier, it sounds like. Yeah, that's my 90% full glass um, approach to it all. Well, that's good. Which I like means them. there's always some that are going <laughs> to sort of play a bit fast and loose with the rules. Um, mm. um, that, will, that will inevitably happen. Um, but I think the the rules are drafted or the, or the via the consultation paper that we've seen so far, uh, it drafted in such a way that um, that principle of show and tell and if you can't show, you don't do it approach. So yeah. don't claim things that you can't evidence. That fits, although that relates to the SDR, sustainable disclosure requirements, that's very much a principle of consumer duty as well. Mm. Don't make claims you can't um, you can't provide evidence for. Yeah, no, definitely. Um so I did want to talk a little bit about ratings of ESG and sustainable funds mm-hmm. um, because I know, you know, they're fairly new-ish still. Um, so even if consumer duty and SDR does reduce the level of greenwashing advisors have to cope with from providers, um, how reliable would you say uh, green or ESG or sustainable fund ratings from third parties are? Um, that's... Um... <laughs> Could be quite a difficult um, question to answer if I still want to retain some friendships within the industry. (laughs) (laughs) That's a leading statement there. You know where the conversation's going. Um, uh, It's very difficult. I I would say safety first for advisors should be um, don't use ratings on ESG and sustainability. Now, there's a massive caveat to that, which is that if you're comparing scientifically measurable data that you understand um, and you can rely on, for example, um, uh, carbon emissions, number of women on the board, if you want to look at the S in ESG for, for, for social issues, you know, measurable, quantifiable things, then you can make a comparison. If one fund is saying the total carbon emissions from our portfolio are X kilograms and one says Y kilograms and the client's saying, I want the lower of the two and X is lower than Y, then you've got your answer. You have a discussion mm. with a client. Look, you with two funds, I'm happy to recommend either. They're both broadly similar, but clearly at the moment, one's got lower carbon emissions. If, however, you're looking at a rating from a third party who, no matter how much how much science is assumed to exist within an within a rating, um, I mean we all it's human nature. 
you know we want to move from the nebulous to the to the numbers um and so somebody saying oh i think that's a five and you understand you understand that that's five on a scale of one to ten it sort of sits in the middle um and that someone getting an eight is higher um but if there's no science you, you could give a, a high rating if you were comparing science but if you're looking at so many of the e and especially the s issues are essentially an opinion mm. number of women on the board is a fact but how a company impacts society is essentially a group of well-meaning people sitting in a room saying well we think the way they do it is slightly better than the way the other company does it there's no science in that it's a group of people making a genuine call if you like which is okay but what happens is when that discussion leaves the room it comes out of we'll give the one we like a four and the one we isn't quite as good a three and then advisors sit there and go well a four is better than a three but if they understood that it was a group of well-meaning people sitting in a room going well what do we think well i reckon that one's slightly better mm. if that if that was the way it was left that advisors could sh sit down with a client and go look here's the minutes of the meeting as you can see these people think that on balance this one's slightly better than that one are you okay with it Okay, it's a discussion, but they won't. They'll sit there and go, well, this one's a four and this one's a three. Oh, that's science. The, the problem is, especially with ethics um, and, and to some extent the aspects of sustainability and definitely a lot of social issues, it's subjective. It's, it's an opinion, but when that opinion gets transformed into a number, um, I'm, I'm, all I'm saying to advisors is be very cautious about what the number is trying to say. Mm. If it's not rating scientific measurable data then you have you have to understand it is actually in most instances a collective opinion and you need you need the manual you need the minutes from the meeting the manual being this is how we make subjective judgments you need to understand that the client needs to understand that because the client might interpret the same facts or, or the same information and go you know what on balance i don't agree with that i think that the the company that they've given a three to is actually significantly better than the one they've given a four to because i look at it from my point of view from my religious social environmental vegan whatever background whatever background that client is motivated motivating that client they will look at the same soft information and go well, i think the other one's better mm. so take the numbers off yeah. Don't rely yeah. on the numbers if the numbers are there. Definitely. No, it's interesting that because um, when it's subjective and it's all just sort of human opinion, anything yep. can influence that really. It could just be that a couple of people in that room had had more positive dealings with one of the funds for all companies or providers, for example. So, yeah, no, I definitely see what you're saying. So should advisors bother with ratings at all, do you think? Um. Yes, but very selectively cautiously. and cautiously so mm. yeah if ratings are there to to provide an easy way of um summarizing facts then that's fine but but as long as under advisors understand that um any element of subjectivity any element of collective opinion in a rating then they should just take it so okay fine there's a starting point here there's there's clearly a group of people have decided that A is slightly better than B. Give it a four or a three. 
So, but until I understand what those, how that decision was made, I can't really then just go and offload those numbers to mm. a client because unless I go through all the um, subjective aspects um, that surround those numbers, it's safer not to give the numbers for a client, which means it's to the client is safer, therefore, for the advisor not to rely on it as part of their due diligence. Take it in, absorb it, and then just do that extra bit of checking mm. if the advisor needs even needs the ratings in the first place. Because with the yeah. disclosure statements, the companies have to say, this is how we do what we do. So why don't you just discuss them, discuss the um, disclosure statements with the client? That would be easier than going out to a third party to get a rating. And if you don't understand the personal values, you know, what's the religious, political, mm. um, dietary influences on everyone in that committee? Because all of that will feed in. Yeah. To the subjective judgment, take all that out. Look at what the companies say they do, and under SDR, they have. They like I said, if they don't do it, they can't claim they do it. If they can't evidence it, they don't do it. Therefore, they can't claim it. Have the discussion about the disclosure statements and don't rely on the ratings. Don't take them as gospel. Exactly. That's the best. Can't see a vegan um, giving a great rating to a meat company or anything. No, but if there isn't a vegan in the room during the subjective rating process, it's probably not an issue that would come up. It's a meat company. Everybody eats meat. What's the problem? Mm. We just think that meat company is better than that meat company. But a vegan would look at it and go, neither of them are acceptable yeah. by my definition of sustainability, social issues, or whatever the client, you know, the vegan client wants, um, is is motivated by. So, yeah, understanding, but no advisor wants to... To, to start sending out due diligence questionnaires about where do you live, how much do you earn, what school do you go to, who did you vote for, do you support any political parties, you know, what do you eat? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, you know, it's just best not to go there, but understand that all those issues will have um, an impact when a group of people are sitting in a room trying to make a a value judgment they can only base it on their own values they don't know the values of every single client because it's not just the one client it's an ifa could see 10 clients in a day and like if you put a number on it some of them will will congregate around the four five and six and then you'll have the ones and the tens same on an attitude to risk yours you could each client will put a different number um mm. on, on on taking their view on the subjective information so as i say i Come back to it. Disclosure statements. I'm really hoping be a wonderful tool for advisors to use with clients. Yeah, make things a lot clearer. Hopefully. Mm -hmm. So, what practical steps do advisors need to take to meet the consumer duty and SDR in the advice process? Um, well, they need they need to actually have a process. It's not uh, you know relying on oh I I I have a, a really good ESG questionnaire. Um, I get it out when the client mentions it. That's not a process. That's a that's a reaction to something the client brings up, and implying that the only the ones that are interested in ESG would bring it up. But like we've we discussed earlier, if a client doesn't know ESG exists, you can't rely on them mentioning something they don't know exists as evidence that they're not interested or are interested in the thing they don't know exists. I know, so. <laughs> it's not it's not a sensible. If, if that were written into a firm's compliance policy. How how do you assess things? Well, we don't we can't identify the things clients don't know 
but on the basis that if they did know, they would talk about the things they probably don't know about. And imagine that written in a compliance policy and then sending that to the FCA. Are you happy with this? Uh, no, not really. For how much time have you got for the number of reasons why we're not happy with that approach? So advisors need a process. And I come back to the spectrum of capital. So if advisors are saying they're agnostic, you can go anywhere you like, whatever you feel like. You can have ESG and sustainability or ethics, or you can have conventional or conventional with ESG. Happy to talk about all those different things. Um, most clients won't want to go beyond a very general description of those things. Now, how would you like the money invested? But but that needs to be institutionalized rather than saying, you know, if it's a firm with five advisors and each five, each of the advisors have a di their own different way of explaining it, um, then the firm can't demonstrate that the firm is delivering good outcomes if there's five different ways of tackling the same thing, exactly the same as attitude to risk. Um, you'd hope that the head of compliance in a firm would say, this is how we gather information on attitude to risk, capacity for loss, ESG and sustainability um, has to be treated the same. I mean, there's a quick way of cutting through all that, which is the tools that we provide. I was going um, to say, what tools are available? To what help? tools? Well, <laughs> what a really good question, Lois. Um, uh, well, let's kick off by saying we've got at ESG Accord, we're launching a website on the 4th of July called Accord Initiative, and we will deliver all the tools, information, support, training that advisors will need via the Accord Initiative website. And the whole website's free to access. So um, whilst technically it's a plug for what we're doing, um, it's a plug for something that everybody can access for free mm. um, because we've got really broad industry support to deliver this website from small ESG rate, rating and um, auditing businesses right up through through to some of the largest investment houses have all said, we really like this initiative. It'd be great to have information, not just information. There's lots of information about ESG and sustainability, but what there isn't any of, as far as we can see, is the practical, this is what you do, this is how you build it into your advice process, here's some documentation, this is not questionnaire overload. An advisor can actually take a client through our entire process and use two, two documents. One, please can you read this before the meeting, and two, one document to capture the client's views. And for most clients, our process has been designed where it meets consumer duty and SDR, and a client can go through and not complete an ESG or sustainable or ethical or SDG or whatever questionnaire at all. Okay. If they choose, but it's about mm -hmm. informed choice. That's the whole point. If if the right thing's put in front of the client, what would you like to do? How would you like to do it? Do you want to get really involved? Do you want to leave it to the discretion of the manager? And that option really is reinforced by the the anti-greenwashing rules and SDR and, and, and disclosures and consumer duty, which is fund managers have to be a much, much more open, transparent about how they do what they do so advisors can rely on it. So it means clients can rely on it and say, no, OK, let's leave it to the discretion of the manager. But we provide all the documentation that sits behind that to go on file, feed into the due diligence, and then advisors can go and do what they've always done, which is pick the, the fund's that meet the client's requirements. All we're saying is there's an extra bit to know what funds you need to pick. There are a couple of extra questions you need to build in. Mm. And so, yeah, Great. all available free of charge from the 4th of July, Independence Day for advisors and ESG. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well done. Um, was there anything else that you'd like to say to advisors about ESG or do you think we've sort of covered everything there? 
um, I think that the, probably I would say um, get used to not referring to ESG. Okay, I will take that on board. Sustainability. <laughs> I wasn't direct. <laughs> no, I was, I know. It was direct. Yeah, get used to discussing um, preferences, objectives, and sustainability, ESG, and ethics being a subset of that. But talking about investment preferences and getting clients used to let's have a conversation about preference. Have your preferences changed since last year? And you might yeah. say three years ago, a client would have said their preferences might have been for, oh, I really love this ESG thing, only because they looked at some performance data and thought everything that's ESG is making money, it's brilliant. Sitting down, I don't know, a year after um, Russia went into Ukraine, have, let's discuss your investment preferences and objectives. They've changed a bit. Why is that? Well, you know, lots of things change, but I, I want to scale back on the number of ESG and sustainable funds. There's been a bit of a short-term underperformance, not on every fund but you know that's an investment preference that's a conversation an advisor can say well we could, you're on a platform we can make or we use an mps we just use a different mps or pick some different funds on the platform it's ever so easy no switch charges and then we'll review it and then two years down the line maybe esg and sustainable funds are doing really well again and the client goes i think i want to build that back in fine but you've got an engaged client. That's the point. They understand what you're doing and why you're doing it for them. And that's part of what they pay you a fee for, which is um, you know, better than talking about alpha, beta and all the other stuff that clients glaze over, pound cost mm. averaging and stuff. It's all important. But most clients don't engage with that. But they do engage with, oh, I want to take out ESG. I want to put in ESG. Fine. We're here to, to meet your preferences and objectives. Great. Well, I think probably that's all we've got time for for today's podcast. But thank you so much for joining me, Lee. I've really enjoyed talking to you about this. It's a really interesting area, I think. Yeah, thank you very much for, for letting me go. <laughs> on and on. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.